A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from Talk Sport. Hello, folks, and welcome to the Game Day Preview Pod from TalkSport. Looking ahead to each and every Premier League game this weekend with diligence and precision and even the patience of a Colleen Rooney investigation. Coming up, the game that captures everyone's imagination, or used to, and maybe apart from Manchester United fans going into this weekend, a tactical shift that could help Liverpool's rotation, and will there be a silver lining for under the cosh Marco as West Ham travel to Goodison Park? We've got a cracking Twitter takeover for you as well. Also this week, Dream Team tips on Chelsea, Newcastle, Leicester and Burnley, and whose fans are unhappier, Tottenham or Watford's? Each match covered because no one gets left behind on game day from Talk Sport. This is Game Day Premier League Preview Show. And yes, we have pulled off the impossible this week. We found an Irish striker that does score goals. David Connolly, how was the international break for you? It was very good. Um, yes, I, I did score the odd goal, um, but Connolly this week didn't live up to his name because he didn't score any. He did have some great chances though, didn't he? Well, he did actually, late on. Just maybe if he'd have got more time on the pitch, I think you know he might have taken one, but he only, I think he only got nine or ten minutes, which, which was a shame against Georgia. Uh, Alex Crook is with us as well. Hello. Hello. Have a busy international break, did we? <laughs> An unusual one, yeah. Uh, I had a baby. Well, my wife had a baby, so that's been good fun. And uh, I was going to say, that does sound very unusual. <laughs> I spent most of the second week of it watching reruns of the Premier League years from the mid-1990s just to prove to the newborn that Manchester United were good ones. OK, let's get stuck into a big weekend of action and let's start with Manchester United because this week they take on Liverpool. Hits the byline, drives it across, and the ball squirms through to Roberto Firmino. And there is a goal which will settle Liverpool's nerves. Snapping at his heels was Firmino. He's robbed it, played it onto Mane. Mane into the area. Goalkeeper's come out, doesn't get there. Mane does as it rebounds off the Bradka and into the Senegalese's path. And Liverpool have turned this game on its head. Picks it up. It's Martial. It's a wonderful strike. 2 0 to Manchester United. Shape on the shot as he sent it spiralling into the bottom right hand corner. Ball and a measured pass out to the left edge of the area. James, who strikes it right footed and finds the back of the net with an absolute rasper. Ah, this game, usually the most watched game of football in the world every year. Ah, it used to be. Uh, there'll be people in Kansas, in North Carolina, in Boston, in Delhi, in Mumbai in Bangkok, sitting down with their popcorn to watch the Empire strike back 
or more likely, when Harry met Salah, and Salah definitely comes out on top. Although he has actually failed to score or assist a single goal in each of his four Premier League appearances against Manchester United. Now, Leicester and Sheffield United have come pretty close to uh, disrupting Liverpool's rhythm. Uh, Dave, do you reckon that Manchester United have got anything in their playbook that can stop Liverpool from equaling this magnificent top-flight record run of 18 consecutive victories? Well, look, I think it's going to be hard. I mean, um, going back to Alex and his baby, this will be, I think, like taking points off a baby or candy off a baby. I think I think Liverpool are just far too strong at the minute. Uh, they really are. Now, what United do is, is the key thing. You know, how do they fit in the likes of Daniel James... Marcus Rashford, Martial, if he's fit, how do they actually get into that front unit to go and score some goals? Because they've only scored, what, more than one goal in three of 23 games. So they're not prolific by any stretch of the imagination. Rash got off the mark, didn't he, finally, for England, cut inside off the left, but that's where Daniel James likes to play. So who's really going to get a nod on the left? Who will then play through the middle? You know, Daniel James did that against AZ Altmar. Didn't really work. He changed it around, put Greenwood through there. I don't think he's going to play Rash through the middle. If Marshall's fit, he might. So he's got a bit of a dilemma, certainly in that front part of the team, Ollie. And, um, you know, are they going to cause Liverpool enough problems? Because certainly Liverpool will, will cause United problems. There's no doubt about that. Alex, as an out-of-the-closet Manchester United <laughs> fan, to what lengths will you go to to avoid watching this game? Well, uh, I shall be watching it from behind the sofa, put it that way. But I think Dave is, is possibly guilty of overcomplicating things, much in the way that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has done this season, because it's pretty easy to name your strongest Manchester United team, and it isn't that strong. But you play Martial through the middle, you play Rashford out wide because he's much better out there as he showed to good effect for England in that game against Bulgaria. You play James on the other side and you play Paul Pogba in the number 10 position. Now, this is a point that for me has gone almost unnoticed this season. But the big reason, one of the main factors that Pogba fell out with Jose Mourinho is because he felt he was being played too deep, wanted to play in that number 10 role to get the best out of his abilities. When Solskjaer came in and went on that amazing winning run, which effectively got him the long-term contract, Pogba was playing number 10. He was influencing games. Fast forward to this season, suddenly Pogba is shoved back in front of the back four again and United are struggling. I can't believe that it's not been made more of in the newspapers and amongst Manchester United fans. Play Pogba behind a front three. Listen, it's not the best defensive midfield pair, but just stick Matic and McTominay there and you've got a Manchester United team that, that, that will have a chance, I think. But it's not a Manchester United team that's going to compete with this Liverpool side, is it, David? I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you do play Pogba, and, and you can't play Pogba this weekend anyway, because I think he's going to be injured still, isn't he? And as far as I understand it, he, he's, he was walking around in an air boot in Dubai during the international break. Um, Martial has been injured, which is another reason why he's had to tinker with that front three. I'm not entirely sure he's 100% fit. And even if he is, he doesn't stay 100% fit for long. The issue is here is that they haven't got a good enough squad, isn't it? Yeah, I think you're obviously, that's well known. We know that. But what's he going to do with what he's got available for him? That's the key thing. Has he got the capacity to do anything else? I mean, does he have the tactical nous to be able to find a formation with the set of players that he's got that could cause Liverpool any problems? I mean, most people will be shaking their head at this point saying, no, he, he hasn't. Well, he did it last season with players like Rashford pretty much on one leg. If you remember that nil-nil draw when United were there for the taking, they lost three players inside half an hour to injury and still Mm. Solskjaer managed to tweak things to get a tune out of the side and actually they frustrated Liverpool for large parts, but I do think he's gone backwards this season. I think the manager might be suffering from a bit of a confidence crisis, much like his players. 
could this be a pivotal moment, do you think, in the Solskjaer reign? Because he has had a bit of goodwill, hasn't he, amongst the support, amongst the media, amongst people who watch Manchester United on a regular basis because of the fact that everybody understands that he hasn't got the resources that maybe previous managers at Manchester United have been well, he ha- afforded. Hey, but he had the but resources, if he gets, right? He had the resources, didn't when? he? Well, he had, you know, if you look at the players that have gone, he had Lukaku, obviously, who he didn't want. So he did have some of the resources. Herrera, Sanchez. Yeah, Herrera, Sanchez. Um, Antonio, who released Antonio Valencia. You but know, but so- he wasn't the one who decided to pay Alexis Sanchez 500 grand a week, therefore alienating Herrera, who thought that everybody else was being underpaid. And he decided that he wanted to go off to PSG because he could leave on a free transfer and negotiate his own contract. No. But the, the point I'm trying to make is, is that at this point in time, everybody has sort of been on his side. If they get a good shellacking off Liverpool, is there an opportunity, that, is there a possibility that things might turn even the most ardent of Manchester United fans might turn against him. Oh, look. I mean, abs- I know you've already gone, Well, by the way. Look, absolutely. We know <laughs> He's gone that. the other way. You know, if you look at maybe his confidence or his misguided trust in terms of letting the likes of Lukaku go and thinking that some of the younger players he had at the club were ready to step up. Now, a lot of these youngsters that he's put his trust in, as we've seen in the league or Europa League, wherever it may not be, ready. they're not ready. And the key difference no. between them and those lads that have for example, come through at Chelsea's, they've already had a loan spell away from the football club. A lot of those Chelsea players have, you know, your Abrahams, your Tamoris, your Mason Mounts, they've had loan spells away. These youngsters, these United youngsters, your Greenwoods, your Chongs, Gomez, they haven't had any loan spell away. So I don't think he can rely on the youth either. So he's relying on experience. But the key thing is he decided to cut a lot of that experience. So I I think he's made his bed at the minute, Ollie, and he's, he's kind of got to lie in it. Okay, uh, let's talk Liverpool very quickly because this quite sensational eight-point lead they've built up should be unbridgeable even from this stage of the season, but that's not always the case and we have seen leads disappear before. Liverpool has seen that sort of lead disappear before. Uh, Liverpool's fans won't get too carried away just yet, but it's all the more impressive, I think, because I don't think they've played particularly at their best yet. Certainly not as well as they did uh, a year and a half ago or even towards the end of, of last season. Um, I think I expressed the view to you, David, before that I think Liverpool's front three would need a rest at some point or rotating at some point over the course of the season because there is a heavy reliance on those three. And I was having a coffee this morning with a Liverpool fan who was we were talking about what's going to happen in the future because Salah in particular hasn't played as well as maybe he has done previously in Liverpool Red, but yeah, his stats are, are very, very, very good. You've got an idea about how to help them out, haven't you, David? Well, look, I think that time might come where obviously they do struggle to, to, to get goals. I mean, we saw it last season, didn't we, in terms of them drying up, maybe Salah not as prolific, but it was fine because everyone else chipped in. Mane came to the fore. Now that might happen again, who knows? But one player I think is really underrated and who actually does brilliantly for Holland because he plays further up the pitch is Gigi Wijnaldum. Now, I don't know if you saw his two goals. He scored two for Holland midweek. One of them was absolutely top Against draw. Belarus. Against cracking. Belarus. Cut inside and banged it in the top corner. He also got a header in the six-yard box. And that's yeah, what Holland allow him to do. So they allow him to play further forward because, you know, they don't really have goal scorers in their side. So they need him to get up into the box and then they offer a bit more protection in behind. Now, what I think Liverpool could do is just at times, if they are struggling for a goal, we've talked, we know about Yorkshire Chambers of this world or whatever it may be, who might come on. They don't have a Daniel Sturridge anymore. They don't have really anyone. They've got Origi, but apart from that, they don't have that many other goals in their side apart from the front three. You know, can Wijnaldum be that man if he's allowed to play a little bit further forward? 
some good news for Alex before the weekend. Jurgen Klopp has managed more away games against Manchester United without a victory than he has any other side in all competitions. Does that give you any hope? <laughs> Not overly. I think what does give me hope is that everybody is saying that United are going to be on the end of a tonking. What Solskjaer has managed to do is improve the, the, the defensive setup. I think they've got the fourth best defensive record in the Premier League. So I'm not sure it's going to be the five or six goal thrashing that everybody's expecting. But listen, as Danny Mills put it, if you put United and Liverpool together, how many United players would get in the Liverpool team? Probably none. So Liverpool should win. They might not. OK, let's move on to Saturday's Late 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 Show and to the Palace. But despite a home defeat to Wolves and a loss away at Norwich, surely no one is suggesting. Off with his head. Uh, what is the problem at Manchester City and what's the problem with Pep Guardiola? <laughs> Pep's problems. Uh, well, it's taken a lot of digging, right? But we obviously know the points gap. So, yeah, why are, why are they behind now? What is the difference been? Well, I think if you look at the Wolves game, that showed it all. Um, now, their possession's pretty similar to the last couple of seasons. Their, their shots that they're taking is similar. Their goals is similar. Their shots against is very similar. But why are they lagging behind? Well, the key factor is this expected goals. You know, we all talk about this now. It comes up, doesn't it, every game. Expected goals, either for or against. And this is where they're not top of the league. They're bottom of the league in expected goals. So that means the place where they face shots from. You know, the quality of those shots against. And if you saw the Wolves goals, basically every time they had a chance, Wolves, they only had seven. But every time it was nearly a one-on-one with a goalkeeper. And barring good saves from the keeper, Wolves would have actually scored earlier than they did. So the key thing for, for City is they're too high up the pitch. When they lose it, they're too vulnerable. And they're giving up such good quality chances. And in the Premier League... Those so just explain the- to people who don't know what expected goals are, because uh, Neanderthal sitting next to you once uh, got <laughs> very... Uh, He got very, very uptight about the idea of expected goals and wasn't having it at all. But actually, it's a key indicator because it's a very good measure of if a team is over or underperforming in front of goal or defensively. Is that right? Yeah, so they look at the quality of chances. I mean, because you can have different chances or different varying shots on goal from 35 yards out. You know, the expected goals is pretty low. But when you're offering, say, chances where opponents are running through one-on-one with your goalkeeper, that is a clear chance, much clearer chance, much easier opportunity to score. And that's the problem that City are are currently facing. They're actually allowing much better chances against them than they were previously. Yeah, you only have to look at defending for the first, one of the first Wolves chances. Otamendi comes flying out of his slot. Fernandinho is five yards away, has no idea where Otamendi is. And then bang, Wolves are in. Same with um, Traore's goal. So, I think it's it's the quality of those chances that they're giving up. Nothing else has really changed and certainly they're missing someone at the back. So Pep's problems, I think, all lead back to he needs a centre-half and maybe Alex has got a, a steer on this because there's one centre-half on the south coast, Nathan Ake, and I think someone like that in January would be absolutely perfect for them. This time last year, he had an injury to De Bruyne to worry about, attitude and attendance problems with Mendy and Sane, but he could call upon Bernardo, Raheem, Zinchenko, who stepped up very well, I thought, at left-back, but hasn't been particularly good this season in that area. This year's issues that he's got are in areas where he has got little cover. Centre-back is almost translucent. And the idea that he has tried to implement to try and fix them haven't always worked. 
I mean, it's ridiculous to talk of a demise, but I do think he's a manager who's had a shelf life in the past with a group of players in a particular environment. Fourth season at Manchester City, four seasons at Barcelona, three at Bayern Munich. I mean, we don't want to overreact because it's still very early in the season. But could you see a situation developing where at the end of this season, he goes off into the sunset? Well, you've taken the words right out of this Neanderthal's mouth. Um, I think there are, <laughs> there, there are two facets that I want to talk about. And one is the point you're alluding to there, that by the third and fourth season, and Pep isn't a manager who likes to change his personnel and, and, and tinker with the squad too much, the players look jaded. They look lethargic. And I think we're seeing that at Manchester City. And, that, and that's why they're giving away more presentable chances maybe than in previous seasons because I think the players are, are, mentally, are mentally and physically drained. Uh, obviously, they've missed Eimerick Laporte, and I think that's the second point. I think he's become a little bit complacent, Pep Guardiola. Uh, Sir Alex Ferguson always used to say that the best time to strengthen the squad is from a position of power when you've won a trophy. Manchester City haven't really done that. I know they broke their transfer record for Rodri over the summer, but the fact it's taken him four seasons to break that transfer record, when you think of the riches that surely are available to Guardiola says to me that he hasn't gone out and bought players to enhance the squad when he needs to because Liverpool were very close to winning the title last season. They would have won the league but for that collapse they had at the turn of the year and that defeat against Manchester City. I think City got a bit lucky last season uh, to, to gain the title against such a powerful Liverpool team but without strengthening the squad, Liverpool have kicked on and Manchester City haven't. I also thought it was pretty glaringly obvious that they were going to need a centre-back since as they let one go, one that was pivotal to their success towards the end of last season. Talking of centre-backs and defensive positions, Roy's got a very tight, compact defence at Crystal Palace, hasn't he? They don't create too many opportunities. They don't score a lot of goals, but they've got Wilfred Zaha, who fancies big games. He's yet to really fire into life this season. Um, they've taken the fourth most points since the start of 2019. Liverpool, City, Arsenal, then Crystal Palace have garnered the most points since yeah. the beginning of January. I mean, is there is there any case here for back-to-back defeats for Manchester City? Can Crystal Palace pull off a massive shock at Selhurst Park, do you think? Well, it wouldn't be beyond them, you've got to say. I mean, they did it last season. I know that was away from home. There's a different emphasis when you're the home team because, look, Roy loves to play on the counter. But their goal against West Ham, I think, was something like their third goal this season in the last 10 minutes. Um, only Man City got more and they keep going there's a relentless nature about them. Look, talk about centre-halves. They got in Gary Cahill. What a signing he was, you know? How badly... He's been brilliant, hasn't he? How, hey, how, could they have done any worse than him for Man City on a free? I mean, it's not beyond the realms of possibility. He could have come in and done a job for them. So, look, I think they're doing really well with what they've got. And, you know, uh, Roy's done superbly. I thought Andrews Townsend was superb as well when he came on last 10 minutes I thought I thought he was excellent yeah. and when scored he's a brilliant form, goal last season against them didn't he at the Etihad yeah, goal of the season that was a cracker yeah so look if he's fit if he's fine as well as Wilf because I think actually Andros Townsend when he's fit he can be as effective for you as, as a Wilf Zaha certainly that game is live on game day on TalkSport at 5.30 and throughout the rest of the world on Premier League Live. OK, um, Tyro Ming's banner celebrating his success with England makes its debut at Villa Park on Saturday. Here's Tom Rennie on who might make the headlines.
Villa have enjoyed the international break, basking in the glow of their 5-1 victory at Norwich City, their best goal-scoring performance in the top flight away from home since 2008. And it's a club with a distinct air of positivity about it as new signings begin to settle, particularly striker Wesley, who's been involved in five goals in his last six Premier League games, scoring four, described as a colossus by manager Dean Smith for his performance at Carrow Road. The villains, though, have to start winning at Villa Park. They've just done so against Everton this season, and they take on a Brighton side who are very open, so this could be the time to be bold. As for Graham Potter's seagulls, a few key players have been carrying injuries, so we wait to see whether the likes of Trossard and El Zate make the matchday squad. But whoever is in the 11, you know this side will be in it to win it, and if they get in front, they won't stop coming forward. Their two 3-0 wins this season in the league, a testament to that. And look out for young striker Aaron Connolly this weekend, who scored a brace against Tottenham. He's averaging a shot on target every 31 minutes, second only to Alexandra Lacazette in the division. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. What's that you can hear? Dum, 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 dum. Dum 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 dum. Yes, the strains of David Bowie and Queen under pressure. The perfect accompaniment to the next match we're looking at. Marco Silva under more pressure than Rebecca Vardy to explain why so many leaks. It's our Twitter uh, Twitter takeover. Twitter takeover. It's our Twitter takeover. And at Watch Toffee on Twitter has got in touch. Big Everton fan ahead of the game with West Ham, which is live at twelve thirty on Game Day on Talksport and across the world on Premier League Live. Uh, here's the first point, David. Uh, solve it for him. He says zonal marking doesn't seem to be working for us. You've got to wonder what gets worked on in training. Is it passing sideways from wing to wing, normally via a centre-back? Because that seems to be the only thing that we're successful with at the moment. Set pieces, zonal marking needs drilling into us until it's perfected. With each individual knowing their zone, role and responsibility, at the moment it isn't and they don't. Silver changed things around in January last season and we went on a run of clean sheet, beating Chelsea and Manchester United and taking a point off Liverpool, which ultimately cost them the league. How does he fix it? Uh, well, you mentioned those sorts of games. He's got to fix it quickly because December... I don't think it's going to provide much cheer and he's got to do well in these next games certainly against West Ham to even see December out I mean he's got Leicester Liverpool Chelsea Man U and Arsenal 
That's the fixtures Everton have got coming up. This is a game, I think. This is a must-win. Those Everton fans, they have seen so many dire performances at home, at Goodison. It's got to affect change. And I thought maybe, you know, the international break might do some of their players, you know, the world of good. They'll go away, they'll be refreshed, they'll perform well. But, yeah, Michael Keane, look how he performed. Moise Ken got sent off. So suddenly you've got players coming back to the football club going, well, I tell you what, I've, you know, this place wasn't great when I left it. And now, I don't know if it's that much better either so I think I think this is a massive game this is a must win um, just to clarify you, you've got to stop trying to be clever with your pronunciation okay it's Moyes Keane it's very that's easy Moyes and Keane David Moyes Roy Keane what did I say them together you've got uh, I said Moyes what did I say Moyes or Ken listen this is how you say it it's my name and Moyes Keane that was a clip of uh, know, Moyes Keane saying what, his own name uh, uh, what, 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 what is it Moyes Keane <laughs> What did I say? It's just Ken. Moise Keen. You said Moise Ken. That's not being clever. Huh? I don't know. <laughs> That's not. Uh, what's he called? Moise Roy Keen. Keen. <laughs> Actually, does he not say Moise? Um, Ken. What's he called? Ken. No. Keen. Keen. Moise Keen. Keep Mo- it simple. Okay. I th- um, which I might be I the good advice for Marco Silva, to be fair. Um, at the other end, at Watch Toffee also says, quite simply, if you don't feed your strikers, then you won't score goals. The first successful forward pass into the penalty area versus Burnley uh, ten we- uh, two weeks ago was to Moise Keen. And he was a second-half substitute. I-, I also found a stat this week that said that Everton have found the net with just one of their last 47 attempts in the Premier League. So in short, they can't attack, they can't defend, and it begs the question, doesn't it, Alex, whether Silva, who has been at whole Watford now at Everton, is just fool's gold. Well, you're preaching to the converted here because I've been telling anyone who would listen for years that Marco Silva is not, uh, to quote the great Adrian Durham, all that. He was lauded for what he achieved at Hull City. What did he achieve? Last time I checked, they still went into the championship. Then he, then he was brilliant at Watford for two months, had his head turned by Everton, got sacked. He's come into Everton, spent lots of money, made them worse. Maybe he should have signed Ken instead of Keane. He might have been a better acquisition. <laughs> uh, on that um, idea of Marco Silva, um, the, uh, the, the Twitter takeover author this week at Watch Toffee said to us that he's been one of the biggest defenders. Last season, I could see what he was trying to do. Around Christmas time, it was a case of change your ways or go. He changed. We went on an excellent run and finished the season very strongly. Also increased optimism for this season ahead. However, he's reverted back to his old stubborn ways. I'm also quite sceptical about his appointment of Louis Boamorte as his assistant manager, particularly given how well his former assistant, João Pedro Sousa, has his team performing in the Portuguese top flight at the moment. Silva is now on borrowed time. The search for his replacement started a while ago. It's up to him to prove that he's the man for the job. I mean, if if, the, if that's true and the replacement has already started, I mean, it's just a matter of time, isn't it? Well, certainly. I mean, obviously, the defeat against Burnley is is arguably saying to Everton, this is what you could have had. Yeah, no, I know Sean Dyche has had one poor season, but apart from that, he's had a stellar rise and he's a sort of ideal man, I thought, that would really suit a club like Everton. As it is, um, they're stuck with something which is hard to put your finger on. In, in terms of a possible new manager, can I chuck another name out there? Uh, someone that Sam and I know very well, 
Eddie Howe was a boyhood Everton fan. Now, you're not telling me that Eddie Howe couldn't go in there with money to spend and do a better job than Marco Silva. And it's not common knowledge, it's not been publicly promoted, but my understanding is that Eddie Howe's contract at Bournemouth is actually due to expire at the end of this season. He hasn't yet signed a new one. Quick, have we got a breaking news stabs? Quick, this is going to be a podcast exclusive. Eddie Howe to Everton, it's happened. Um, we also know that that has been a link before. Those, I don't know if they've approached him or there was deep conversations, but there's certainly been an approach or sort of like tentative approaches before for Eddie Howe, who's uh, done very well at Bournemouth. Let's talk about the Hammers. They've been very effective away from home. Unbeaten, in fact, away from home. But I always feel it's just about, it's just when they're about to get very good West Ham, they let you down. One win in five after a bright start. They went out of the cup to Oxford in terrible fashion. And uh, the, the one win that they did pick up in that time hardly counts. It was against Manchester United, David. <laughs> yeah, that's true uh, for Alex over there. Um, they were really disappointing, I think, against um, against Crystal Palace. They were at home. I think that's a sort of game where if they want to cement their place up in that top six, if they've got real aspirations, I'm not saying they have, but you know they want to be a top 10, probably competing for Europa League, maybe pushing the top six, with, certainly with a lot of money that they spent. And they were just nowhere near. They weren't at the races at all. I thought it was a really flat performance. I thought all the boys they've got in that front unit who are so talented, they just didn't perform. They just didn't function whatsoever. And um, that's a worrying sign. Now, whether that's the pressure of playing at home, I don't know, against a side that will invite you onto them but hit you on the counter-attack. But they certainly might be suited to playing away from home. You never know. This Everton game might be coming at the right time for them. OK, and if Everton and West Ham think they've got problems, imagine being one of these two. Flicks off the back of Taylor and falls for Jack Greenish, but he's dispossessed fairly by Lamello, who has a shot. It might come here for Harry Kane! Five minutes left to play. It's Tottenham Hotspur 2, Aston Villa 1. Found Pereira, edge of the area, right footed effort. It's a brilliant goal. Watford strike first, and their 100% start of the season could be maintained. Lucas Moura with an opportunity, and now it's hit by Ndombe! Turns away from Townsend very easily. He's clipped it in all the way in with his right foot into the top right angle. Spurs probably delighted that the international break came when it did. Lo Celso and Sessegnon returned to training uh, this week. The NFL has brought a bit of glamour to the place. Harry Winks, who hasn't been in great form, had a great game against Bulgaria. And what they would have wanted is to come back now after one win in six and play Watford. Uh, David, um, Watford have scored just four Premier League goals this season. But if you look at the expected goals and we're going back to that again Alex hope you're keeping up with this the quality of chances they've had means they should have scored 11 have they been unlucky well look the man of the match last week against Sheffield was was the goalkeeper Henderson he was outstanding made some good saves but Watford should have scored two goals Gray had a great chance early on brilliant ball across the box scooped it over the bar from about six yards out and then Danny Welbeck with a one-on-one with a goalkeeper could have laid it off to Gray went for the shot Really poor finish, goalkeeper save. So I think they could have scored goals. They could have won that game. I'm interested, though, to see if Watford will be bold and brave, like Brighton were, 
and put a front two up against Tottenham and go right. Like, that's what I thought Potter did really well. He knew that Tottenham were a bit vulnerable. He knew that maybe this might be our chance to get three points here. Put a front two, put my little Mopay and, and Aaron Connolly up top against them. I wonder if Watford will do the same. Will they put Gray, will they put Welbeck and go, you know what, I fancy our chances. You're a bit weak mentally, physically. This is our time and that, that'll be really interesting. I mean, I can't get my head around this statistic, but Tottenham have lost more games in all competitions in 2019 than any other Premier League side. 17. That is absolutely stunning. I was at that Brighton game against Tottenham a week and a half ago, and I cannot believe how poor they were. I don't think there was a spell in that game when they were at all at their best. I don't think there was a spell in that game where I thought, they're a better team than Brighton. Looking at the two teams, if you were asking me which one was going to finish in the top six, I would have said the team from the South Coast. I don't know if that's the best they've played under Graham Potter, but certainly to me, from what I saw at the end of last year of Brighton and what I've seen in the first few weeks of this season, that was the best I've seen Brighton play ever, I think. Yes, it was the best Brighton have played under Potter, but Tottenham were an absolute shambles. And you mentioned that statistic there. It's 22 points from their last 20 matches for Tottenham. Eric Dyer, of course, came out after the game and said they're a club in crisis. Uh, the answer to that crisis, because Lloris is injured, is to re-sign Michel Vorm. He's older than David Connolly. Will he start at the weekend? That's a signing that smacks of desperation. Scored more goals for Ireland as well, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but that signing smacks of desperation to me. I think, I think Watford are the perfect team to play because if there's a team in more trouble than Spurs at the moment, it probably is the Hornets, especially with Troy Deeney still sidelined, although he has posted uh, over the last couple of days that he is getting nearer to fitness. I think they need some leaders, Watford. I think they've badly missed Troy Deeney. But this, for me, is one of the biggest games of the weekend because Maurizio Pochettino would have spent the international break doing a bit of soul-searching and it's going to be intriguing to see what answers he has come up with because Tottenham are in real trouble there and, th- and they need a quick fix. I thought you were going to say a bit of soul-searching, where Son is. Oh, I like because, that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. what does he do here? Very does good. he play a front two, you know, and go with this diamond? Where does he fit Lamella in? Off the front? Where does he fit Ericsson in? You know, how does Lucas Maurer get in? He's got a lot of, I Lu- guess... Lucas Moura. Lucas Moura. You've done it again. Moura. It's not written phonetically <laughs> here. <laughs> but ultimately, are we having a conversation about Maurizio Pochettino similar to the one we were having about Pep, about the amount of time you can listen to that same voice and take on that energy. You know, everybody has a shelf life. doesn't matter what it is. If you're a manager and you're driving a group of players, you've either got to refresh that group of players or you've got to refresh the voice that they keep hearing every day. Um, I just wonder whether or not they've got a bit tired of him because ultimately... He's, he's stopped working for him, hasn't it? And he's a very good manager, a very good coach and a very nice bloke. Well, you talk about getting tired of him. I mean, I left Southampton when he came in. So I went back to see the lads and, you know, mm. was in the canteen and the players were absolutely drenched in sweat. Yeah. Like they never, they didn't know what had hit him. I mean, he works them relentlessly. So that tiredness has been chucked at him before. When His teams him. never end the season particularly well. No, that's right. And, and you just worry, OK, they might be physically tired, but you know whether they are mentally tired as well, hearing the same voice, I don't know. But what he won't do, he won't do a Mourinho, I don't think. He won't make his position untenable. No doubt about that. But this is his first real challenge. He hasn't done bad at doing that, has he? I mean, let's be honest. He hasn't hasn't exactly covered himself in glory with some of the things that he's said. I mean, he was better last time out after the Brighton game. But ultimately, he's had some very odd 
mutterings during press conferences about whether or not the, 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 the resources have been available to refresh the squad, whether or not there are players that have had their heads turned by others? I think he's kept his counsel pretty well. I don't think you can compare him to Jose. But, you know, there's certainly a few things come out of late, like, you know, I'm not a manager. I'm a head coach, alluding to the fact he doesn't well, exactly. control the transfers. But I, look, you haven't heard that much from him, have you, in five years? He told me on Talk Sport halfway through last season, effectively taking the team as far as he could. Mm. You're going back six or seven months. That, listen, I've said before, I'll say it again, the reason Pochettino is so frustrated is because he believed the Manchester United job was his. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer came in and ruined that for everybody, not least the Manchester United fans, as it turns out. I don't think Pochettino has been the same character ever since. I don't think you've been the same character ever since either. <laughs> sure, you had a massive wager on that. Uh, right, let's get to the seaside. Here's Tom with a look at Bournemouth against Norwich. Bournemouth and Norwich are the only Premier League teams yet to keep a clean sheet this season. So I am expecting goals at both ends in this one, with defence being very much secondary to attack for both. Bournemouth have Callum Wilson in scintillating form in front of goal. Backed by the talents of King, Wilson and Fraser, this is a side designed to entertain. That could be true of Norwich, if we ever see the Canaries' first eleven. that is. Infamy, infamy, they've all got it infamy, said Kenneth Williams as Julius Caesar. And that's how manager Daniel Farker must feel as the injuries continue to carry on. No fewer than 13 first-team squad players were listed as out or doubtful going into the weekend. Though there is hope that Tim Crew at least will be fit enough to retake his place in goal, replacing the shell-shocked Michael McGovern, the veteran who conceded five against Aston Villa on the last Premier League weekend, on his top flight debut. And things aren't going much better at the other end either. Only Temu Puki's goal at Anfield has seen them score on the road this campaign. Wading through all the stats and facts to find the diamonds in the rough seas of Dream Team and serving them up on a plate for our listening millions, it is the Dream Team butler himself. Hello, Andrew. How are you? Hi, Sam. What an introduction that is as well. I thought we don't really give you the, the big build-up, and I thought this week we are, we're going to do it. We're going to we're going to trumpet this man, this man who has found such footballing gems as uh, Almiron, Cher, <laughs> and uh, Ollie McBurney over the course of the last few weeks. Uh, Chelsea Newcastle is our first one this week. Jorginho one yellow card away from a suspension. Barkley on strike for uh, England. Giroud prolific for France. Conte injured. Um, where's the value in the Chelsea team? Well, it's an interesting one, Chelsea, because actually in Dream Team this season, they don't really have any players who are over 3.5 million. So if you look at their whole squad, they're worth some decent value, especially if you're looking at, you know, the likes of Tammy Abraham, his price has only gone up to 2.4 million, Mason Mount 2.2. But the players that you mentioned, Barkley and Giroud, Barkley's in there at 1.7 million, but he's only scored eight points so far this season. He was brilliant, I thought, against uh, Bulgaria. Played a very Ross Barkley type of a game in that we all know what he's capable of. He just doesn't do it consistently enough. And that's been the story of his entire career. Similarly with Giroud as well, phenomenal for France just isn't getting a looking for uh, for Frank Lampard and Giroud's only scored a, a measly two points so far this uh, this season in Dream Team he's got goals galore for France I mean he scored twice in the international break a penalty and a really good header uh, during uh, the international break Chelsea score and concede in equal measure Almiron to score this week what do we reckon <laughs> 
Uh, Your jokes are getting better, Sam. I've got to say. Um, Almiron. But Almiron's finishing isn't. (laughs) No, it's not. And I really doubt whether it it ever will. One player I just wanted to highlight from, uh, obviously, that amazing win that Newcastle got over Man United, Alan Sam Maximan. Now, he is an interesting player. He is an interesting player. He was great against Man United. He's in the Dream Team game uh, at 1.7 million. He's wears a Gucci headband that he has to cover up. Um, he goes and Sam's visits got one of them. He goes and visits the Newcastle Food Bank as well. He's already done that this season. He's amazing on social media, uh, uh, interacting with uh, with the fans as well, especially after the Man United game. He was in the goal mouth for Matty Longstaff's goal because he carried it on his run into the goal. He's a, he's a very entertaining <laughs> player to watch. Whether or not that actually translates him being very talented or not uh, remains to be seen. But um, he's in the game at 1.7 million. It might not offer you too many points, but it will offer you some entertainment. Uh, Alex, ever thought about wearing a Gucci headband? I've got enough hair, haven't I? I could probably pull it off. You just you, yeah, you you grow it out we a little bit. Probably get it on. I don't get know if we on. could pull it off actually once we've got it on. <laughs> <but yeah. laughs> Um, Newcastle won just one of their last 25 away league games against uh, Chelsea. Leicester Burnley is our second one. Now, Sean Dyche has led Burnley to eighth in the Premier League. Brendan only narrowly lost the Nash's derby uh, two weeks ago. The Clarets haven't won at Leicester since John Harley, Clark Carlisle, Robbie Blake and Gabor Karai were in the team in 2007. Who's going to be this uh, season's Andy Gray? No, not that one. No, not that one either. The much unheralded six foot one inch former Leeds Forest, Sunderland and Barnsley forward who retired in 2014, who was the last person to score a winning goal for Burnley away at Leicester. Is that right? I don't I don't remember that one. I remember <laughs> I didn't that even one. I, had a I didn't remember right. another one. Um Burnley, it sort of looks like all hopes lost before the the game's even kicked off in this one because you know you mentioned their away form against Leicester, their away form in the in the league so far, they're fourteenth uh, in in the league away form table as well. While whereas Leicester is second at home, so Leicester really should be looking at kind of um, cementing their place in the top four. Burnley wise, I mean you can't really look too much further than uh, Ashley Barnes and uh, and Chris Wood. Barnes in there at three point three million wood in there at two point three million but I'm really not convinced they'll even they'll even score against Leicester. Um Leicester on the other hand, well what an international break it's been for their English players despite not even playing. Apart from Chilwell, Jamie Vardy's got to uh deal with some off the pitch matters, let's say, uh, as has James Madison, who um miraculously managed to get better from his illness by going to a casino and uh that's how I always get over my illnesses as well. Whenever I've got a sore throat, the first thing I do is get down the old Grosvenor, uh, play a bit of poker, crack in. Andrew, thank you very much. Uh, OK, Wolves beat City last time out. This weekend, they welcome Saints to Molyneux. Reports of Wolverhampton Wanderers' demise have been greatly exaggerated, as proved by their stunning win at Manchester City before the international break. Nuno Espirito Santo's side are amongst the best drilled in the league, and he's also, it seems, found a way to control the runaway steam train that is Adama Traore, adding a finesse to his game at the Etihad that had previously been lacking. Traore had only scored once in 72 games before then, and he and Wolves will be hoping there's more to come. 
There's been the first rumblings of discontent with Ralph Haas and Hootle at Southampton as Saints fans begin to wonder if there's more to come from him and his side. Limp and lifeless against the youthful zest of Chelsea, this functional manager needs to find a way to conjure some magic from this team. But maybe on the road, that doesn't matter so much. Four clean sheets in six away games suggest they will look to scrap their way to any sort of result in this one. In fact, six of their seven points have come away from St Mary's this season. And Southampton go into the weekend outside the relegation zone on goals scored. Watch them. They've got a tough few weeks coming up. Uh, no worries of that nature yet for forward-thinking Chris Wilder and Sheffield United. I'm a very big fan of him, having spent a bit of time with him and after watching them cause Liverpool a bit of grief. I think they might give Arsenal something to think about as well, don't you, David Connolly? I certainly do. I'm a big fan of his, uh, like you are. In fact, I nearly played for Chris Wilder. Um, you played for everybody. Yeah. Well, I joined at Oxford towards the end of my career and Chris Wilder was a manager. Well, he was at the time. And then he left to go to Northampton, but I still went to um, Oxford. And look, all the lads said, you get he what you see. He didn't leave Oxford because you were going there, did he? Uh, no, I probably would have got in the sack. I think that's why he left. Um, but no, he's uh, he is what he is, right? He's very blunt, tells it how it is. And, and obviously... That can upset a few people. I don't think it upset his goalkeeper as much as people made out after Henderson's sort of blunder against Liverpool. Well, he did it last year and it, yeah. it stung him into action. Exactly. done the same with him. He ended up getting a call up to the England national team. Exactly. And he had a brilliant performance. He had a great game against Watford, made loads of good saves. So I'm a huge fan of Christian Wilder. I think that he's got Bramwell Lane bouncing, but look, make no mistake, he's up against an Arsenal side that are, I think, on the cusp of doing something pretty special this year. I certainly think they're going to be... You are kidding me. You don't mean that. I I think they're going to certainly challenge... They'll be up there. They'll be in that top four this season, Arsenal. Sorry, Arsenal are doing something special and you're talking about them challenging for something. I thought you were going to suggest if they're doing something special, they'll be dropping out of the top six. Well, look, we know they're not going to be going anywhere near the league title. We're not saying that. But certainly, I I didn't anticipate or envisage that Arsenal would be, say, certainly a shoe-in for the top four. But I certainly think they are now. Okay, Sheffield United haven't lost at home in the league to Arsenal in any of their last four games at Bramall Lane and there is history between these two. Do you remember the game replayed in 1999 after a fifth round game at Highbury? Ray Parler trying to give the ball back to Alan Kelly and then Carnu, who was making his debut in English football, didn't know what the hell was going on so just took it into the penalty area, squared it for Overmars, scored and Arsene Wenger being very gracious said, it's alright, we'll replay it, we'll replay it. Can you tell me the Sheffield United manager? I can, it was day. Steve Bruce and he took the players off the oh, pitch in their oh, garish damn. yellow green kit very good um, very good I, I think this is a tough game for Arsenal because you've already alluded to it Sheffield United were really good against Liverpool acquitted themselves excellently against Chelsea in fact I think if you ask Chris Wilder he will be frustrated they didn't get more from those two matches Bramall Lane is going to be bouncing yeah. under the lights and this is just the type of game that in previous seasons Arsenal would have lost and I think this is going to be a big test had they actually improved under Unai Emery and despite what David Connolly has said I know a lot of Arsenal fans are married to one there are a lot of Arsenal fans who are not convinced by Unai Emery. They don't think they've gone any further forward. Uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has scored 80% of Arsenal's Premier League away goals this season. That might be another one for your dream team selection uh, this week. OK, it's time for Commentator's Curse. Now, if you are new to the Game Day Preview pod, this is our bit of fun. Not that we haven't had fun so far, but there's only so many times you can make jokes about the extraordinary number of clubs that David Connolly has played for. 
In fact, you've been doing this pod for a while with us. Why haven't you put him for a transfer? <laughs> <laughs> Am I on a free? I only get a move if I'm on a free. <laughs> uh, anyway, the commentator's curse is everywhere. You're commentating on an England match. You know what it's like at the World Cup. And you're pointing out just how friendly all those lovely wives and girlfriends are. And then, well, you know what happens next. It's a bit like that. So we will unintentionally put the mockers on a club or a player this week by giving a statistical reason why they will do absolutely marvellously in this round of matches. I'll start us off. Um, This week I'm going to Selhurst Park. So I'm going to suggest to you that after a defeat last time out, Sergio Aguero is going to power Manchester City to victory at Crystal Palace. Why? Why? Why, I hear you ask? Well, because in all his years, nomadically travelling around Premier League grounds, scoring goal after goal, did you know that Sergio has never scored at Selhurst Park? Six visits? Mr. Penn there as well, didn't he? I remember. Yeah. This is the weekend. It all changes, boys. This is the weekend. It changes. Although, he did crash his car on his way to training on Wednesday thankfully walked away unscathed though the Range Rover didn't Uh, but uh, hopefully he'll be fit and ready for action this Saturday live on TalkSport and around the world on Premier League Live what you got for me David? I've got um, a goal scorer I think is going to come good finally now Everton are winless in the last eight early Saturday kickoffs since beating Chelsea 3-1 in when? September 2015 thanks to who? got a hat trick any ideas wasn't Ken was it Ken there was no it wasn't Ken it was Stephen Naismith but I think it might be Moise Ken's chance this time around so I'm going to put Moise Ken down to get on the goal trail he's keen to make it happen (laughs) (laughs) the fact that we've made the same joke twice in that small section troubles me Um, Alex what you got for us well Obviously, I'm hoping to put the mockers on an entire club this weekend, and that club is Liverpool. You mentioned Aguero in the car crash. It could be a car crash for Manchester United on Sunday. Liverpool haven't lost any of their last 49 Premier League games in which they've scored in the first half. That dates back to a 4-1 reverse at Tottenham in October of 2017. So you would imagine if Liverpool do score in the first half, they will go on and win handsomely. Okay, uh, have a good weekend, everybody. Thank you very much for tuning into the podcast. You can subscribe to us and please leave a rating on Acast, on iTunes or on Spotify. We'd love you to do that. Uh, We'll be back uh, this time next week, uh, looking ahead to another great round of Premier League action. Remember, we've got the record book on Monday morning, which will look back at all the Premier League action. And on Saturday night, Sunday morning, you'll be able to get the reaction, the verdict with Laura Woods and with Adrian Durham. Thanks for tuning in. That was a game day Premier League preview show, a Talk Sport exclusive podcast. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 